Hey, welcome to the Keystone Experience. Rob Work and Matt Pitzer. Brought to you by Creek Archery. Find your passion and hunt it down. And Hillview Motors, Chrysler, Dodge, Jeep, and Ram. Remember, Hillview has it in Greensburg, Pennsylvania. What's going on, everybody? We got a very special guest with us tonight from out in Wisconsin, the big buck serial killer, Mr. Dan Infall. How you doing, Dan? Pretty good. So, I guess we all kind of got a bunch of questions for you, but I guess we can we can start with how do you pick out a spot on your public land to scout? Hmm. That's a good question. Um, there's a lot of public land, and uh, to me, a lot of it is just wasteland that I'm not interested in. Um, and what sparks my interest, I mean, I guess it depends on geographically where I'm at. Uh, in my home area of Wisconsin, it's a real swampy area. It's, it's a mix of farms and swamps and relatively flat land and the real heavy pressure. I'm right around a whole bunch of cities and towns and stuff. And uh, even though I live in the country, um, those cities produce a lot of hunters. So um, what I really look for here is um, deer isolated by water usually. So I'm looking for dense swamps. I'm looking for places that are so thick and nasty that gun hunters doing deer drives can't drive through there and kill every deer before it can grow up. So places where deer can hide and live, you know, a, a relatively long lifetime. Um, and then once I, I figure out those areas, then I'll physically look at them, uh, walk them, um, maybe drive by and uh, glass, you know, things like that. Okay. It's it. Dennis if it's Chris. hill country, not now, like like say I go out, you know, in hill country, like when I went to Pennsylvania, mm-hmm. where you guys are from, right? Yep. Yeah. I looked at a whole bunch of maps of the of the uh, hilly areas there, and uh, figured out where I thought bucks should be based on terrain and stuff. And uh, then I went when I got there, I immediately, you know, um, set up a tent, jumped in my truck and ran to those spots and started scouting and looking for sign, you know, and if, if there was good sign, I'd back out until I had a bow and then move into hunt. If there wasn't, I'd rapidly go through it and go to the next spot. And then when I'd hunt a spot, I would just keep moving, you know, on to the next one, on to the next one until I got into action. And I know, you know, with listening to a lot of your content, you, you speak a lot on edges. Um, Mm -hmm. So, I guess one of the questions I have for you, if you you are scouting a particular area and it has multiple types of edge, um, what would draw you first? You know, you know, the, if it's say, let's just say it's hilly farm country, you know, mm-hmm. what, what would be the first thing if you stepped out of your vehicle and you're going to scout it, that you would say, OK, this is where I need to go first. This is what I need to look at. Well, there's two things I really look for. I look for thick and I look for elevation. So the top third of the, the hilly terrain on the leeward side. 
Uh, now, if I can find that in a combination where I have thick, like say they cut the top of a, of a ridge, mm-hmm. but where it gets steep, a lot of times they stop cutting. If where they stop cutting on that steep is is the leeward side of the hill, that's going to be a really good area because um, bucks and hill, hilly terrain really love thick back escape above them. They love the wind to their back and to look downhill. And they want to be able to see down that hill. So um, that's the ultimate terrain. Now, the next thing I'm looking for is I'm looking for a place that has like a bowl within it. That's kind of isolated from people. Um, so that there's like uh, only one place where the elevation comes out of there, you know, low. And uh, a buck can bet anywhere around that circle of that bowl. And, uh, have that leeward wind. He doesn't have to go cross country when the wind changes. Right. They love to have everything they need, no matter what wind it is in one area. Yeah. Which makes very hard to hunt them. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, after you find the sign that you're looking for, you know, what I've been noticing, like watching your videos is you're looking for, good war trails that the does are using, then you're looking for those faint trails that the bucks are using. Is that kind of, am I on the right path of what you're trying to Yeah, sometimes. I mean, a lot of times the bucks aren't leaving the heavy trails that the smaller deer are leaving. I mean, sometimes they are on the heavier trails. I would say that uh, bucks are often on more open trails and especially a lot more open trails than what people think. Um, I see, I see big bucks with big racks have the same problem hunters have when they try to get through thick brush, they hang up. Okay. So if that brush is going through something where you got to push your way through it and there ain't marks from the antlers on the brush, that's not a buck trail. If it is, it's small, little, little buck, you know, um, the buck I shot last year, um, you could see where his antlers were breaking off, uh, cattails where it was at the elevation. So I knew that it was a buck with a wide rack, you know, coming through there. Um, but they're not just, you know, running through brush willy nilly. Um, they need an open trail, you know, you know, um, but often if there's only one or two big bucks in the area, often they got their own little trail and the majority of deer follow some sort of little funnel and bucks will parallel them, especially when you get around rut, which is when most people hunt. Um, those big bucks aren't necessarily running up and down the doe trails. Mm-hmm. They're parallel and they're smelling them. They're, they're coming around them in a way to use their nose, you know? Um, so, I, I mean, the visual for me is usually um, rubs are a really good sign because uh, that tells you you're on the right trail. I mean, a big track is great because, I mean, once they get, once they get to a certain size, you know, it's a, a good buck. But um, when you get a rub that's, you know, waist high or higher to the center of the rub. I mean, there's no denying that that's, that's going to be a good buck, you know? So that's a really good telltale sign for me. And when those are on that faint trail, you know, that'll pull you over to it. Now, how much time do you spend scouting an area or do you just go in there one time, figure out what you're going to do and then go back and hunt it a couple times or? Well, I guess that varies. It varies on when I'm scouting. Um, 
uh, I scout uh, many different ways. You know, um, uh, in uh, the beginning of the year, like January, February, March, maybe into April, I like to go find bedding areas and decipher them. I'll spend, you know, an hour or two in them, but I'll only go in once and I'll get all the intel that I need from that one sit, you know, one, one visit. And uh, I'll figure out which trees are good, what axis is good, how to get in there quiet, how not to get my wind in there, what winds I need to hunt on, what winds the bucks are bedding in based on the, the beds themselves. I'll look at the, the uh, exit routes, how many routes are there. I'll try to figure out what they're feeding on. I'll try to figure out a time frame of when they're bedding there or why they're bedding there. Maybe it's those, maybe it's food, um, maybe it's cover related and cover changes. Um, so I'll, I'll try and get a time frame. Just for, for instance, um, some bedding areas uh, are only good early season on years that there's acorns. Some bedding areas are good all year. Um, some bedding areas are specifically in position for does uh, so they're only good during rut. And usually rut bedding areas are get rubs everywhere heavy. So they kind of they, they lean to a little more into that late October, early November time frame to hunt it. You know, um, so I'll do that detective work at that time of the year. And then when it gets into summer, I do more glassing and stuff and, and watching from a distance. And, and then I'll uh, try to find big bucks. And when I find them, well, then I don't have that luxury of having to have walked their bedding area. So then I'll, uh, you, you know, I'll try to watch them from afar, get a pattern. I'll look at some maps. I'll try to figure out and lean back on what I've learned from walking all those bedding areas over the years where I think that deer is bedding based, based on terrain and the different spots he could be bedding in. And I'll form a game plan on how to hunt that area down based on where I think the bedding should be. Um, and then when it comes to season, especially like with road trips or going into new property, or maybe you find out about some big buck and you've never really hunted there, but you want, you want to kill this buck. So you go into some place blind or you just get access to something new. Um, what I'll do is I'll study maps. I'll try to figure out where the bedding is. Um, I might do an observation hunt if it's an open area and just watch for a day. Um, but then I'm going to go in and I'm methodically going to hunt that down and uh, just take educated guess on where I think deer are bedding, getting close and uh, cut them off. Now, Dan, where did all this knowledge and passion for deer hunting come from? Yeah, it's a good question. I don't know where the passion comes from. That's something that you're pretty much born with. I think you know, that fire that you got. Um, I've always been a hunter. I always will be. It's something you're kind of born with, you know. Um, but growing up hunting, I was kind of, uh, I don't know if you want to call it feral. I just ran and did what I wanted. Um, my parents weren't really restrictive, you know, and I just ran around hunting and stuff and flinging arrows like crap <laughs> and learning that way. And for me, for, for hunting, um, uh, I killed a lot of deer. And I killed, you know, when I was young. And I killed them for food, and I mean, it was a it was a big deal when you killed deer in those days. And uh, I got pretty good at it. And I wanted more and more, and you want bigger and bigger. And people just didn't kill real big bucks back in those days because everybody hunted, and they killed every deer they saw because it was food, and not a lot of people had money. So when we started getting bigger deer, 
um, I started chasing bigger deer and trying to, you know, up the challenge a little bit. And what I noticed is when you'd see deer, you'd see them come out of that thicket where, you know, they're bedding and they'd never get to you in daylight. Cause you, you know, on a little open areas and stuff and you'd see that and you'd think, Oh, I got to get over there. And I didn't have any of the mentors. I was on my own. So I didn't have any of those mentors that tell you don't hunt bedding areas. Don't do this. Don't do that. You know, and I just did what I wanted. And so I didn't learn any bad habits. I just, I just learned what worked for me. So I learned real quick that creeping close to those bedding areas worked really well. And then now uh, when I started running into some really big bucks, I wanted to kill really bad. I realized that I had to learn how they're coming in and out of those bedding areas. And I've always had this like detective type mind mindset where I always try to figure things out and analyze it and stuff. Um, so one particular buck that I really wanted to kill bad, um, I watched that deer for four years. I picked up all the sheds and it was really the first giant buck I ever shot when I did get him. But when I, I got so frustrated that I couldn't figure this thing out, that when winter came, I went into all those bedding areas, kind of looking for the sheds and kind of looking for to, to, to figure out what was going on. And I really started picking apart those bedding areas and learning them. And, uh, I think it helped that I jumped them out of a couple of them and you get the, the idea in your head, okay, this is working, you know, even though it was January or February or whatever. And I learned all the bedding areas in this, in this particular area this deer was living. And then I hunted them with the bow. I didn't get them, but I ended up, um, in gun season with it, with a shotgun sneaking into each of these bedding areas on a crosswind until actually I finally killed it. And then I killed it as it jumped up from its bed. And that just started it. And that was way back in the eighties. And I've just, ever since then, that's how I've hunted. And I've been learning every year since and, um, never quit learning and, uh, just picking these, these things apart and, uh, getting better and better at it. And, uh, I've come a long way from back then. Um, but uh, that's basically the gist of it. Dan, do you have, um, like, do, do, I guess, does weather for you ever play into your hunts? Um, or do you just not really pay attention so much to the type of weather? You'll still go after them or you wait for I'll go, a certain I go after them no matter what. The weather always plays a part. I mean, I can remember um, all my friends leaving on a hunt because it was too hot. It was 85 degrees and everybody went home. I'm like, 85 degrees? Well, where are the deer going to be? Why are you leaving? No, they don't move when it's hot. You know, that's wives' tells. Deer move. Everything moves. I mean, there's always a way to kill it. You use you use the advantage, or, or in that case, maybe you use what they consider a disadvantage as your advantage. So I was like, well, the only water around here is this water hole that's up by a bedding area, and nobody had hunted that. So I figured they had to be in that bedding area adjacent to that water hole. I went in there and I shot a really nice 150 inch 14 pointer when everybody else gave up because it was hot. You know, um, I've, uh, I found them in snow by when we have had heavy snow by going to the pines because they'd get under the pines. Um, it would be the only place that had adequate cover, you know. Um, there's always advantages. Um, I'll take rain days and I'll, uh, uh, I know you can't hear me walking in leaves in the rain. 
the leaves will soften. They don't crunch no more. Um, and I'll, I'll sneak into places where I have a really hard time getting in there on a dry, calm day. I'll take a windy day and I'll go to a spot where that deer can kind of see me. Because if I move slow, he won't see me if all the grass is waving in the wind. And I'll, and I'll get in close that way. You know, there's weather always plays into it. Um, you, you know, um, cold fronts. People say deer move earlier in cold fronts. Now that's, that's true to a degree. I don't think it's as huge as some people make it out, but it does have an impact. And usually most of my sets, I'm so close to the deer that even if, you know, on a cold front, maybe they move, you know, a half an hour, 40 minutes before dark. And when it's not a cold front, they move 10, 15 minutes before dark. Either way, I killed them if I'm 50 yards from his bed or 75 yards from his bed. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Right. But um, there's some beds I can't get that close to. And there's also cases where, in a lot of cases, I have stacked bedding where you have um, the bucks bedding, bucks bedding areas are like right in a row. And there, there might be five, six bedding areas that are close to each other that encompass, you, you know, five, 600 yards. And you got to get that deer, if he's in the end one, to move all the way to you through these bedding areas without kicking the rest of them. So you sit back a little further. Well, that might be a, one that I, I hunt on a cold front day because I want them to get a little further. You know, so I do I do take that stuff into account, but I hunt just about every day in every condition. Chris, I think that was a pretty appropriate question for you to ask, seeing that you've got a little experience with hot weather and big bucks. Yeah, I mean, I killed my biggest buck at uh, 930 in the morning when it was almost 80 degrees. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and to be honest, I mean, in past years, I probably would have never believed that it was a, a really good idea to be out there in those conditions. I mean, it, it most certainly made me a believer that, Regardless of temperature, if they're going to move or they're going to, if they were on a mission, they're going to do it. Yeah. Yeah. And I think there's, there's a difference in the times of the year too. I don't know when, when PA opens, but here we open, uh, uh, like the second or third weekend in September. Same here. Same here. Okay. Well, at that time frame, it can be like 90 and they move just fine. Mm-hmm. But you get to, like towards the rut or something and, you know, that hot weather kind of bogs them down. I don't know if the fur coat or if they're, they've accumulated to the, to the cold weather, but it's a whole different hunt. But that, I mean, just look around right now. It's the middle of uh, summer. You get these 80, 90 degree days, drive around an hour before dark and look at the bean fields. Look at the bucks out now. Right. They're moving. That's why I so was five more. minutes late getting to call you because I took the long way home and was. Looking at the fields. box, yeah. <laughs> I was actually starting to get worried when I beat you here. If maybe you hit one of those, yeah, I beat you here and you live here. Like, There's a guy of my style right there. I mean, you got a podcast <laughs> plan and everybody's waiting for you, and you're like, "Well, I still got to look at the field from the way home." <laughs> yeah, I had to take the long way around. There's been a nice buck I've been seeing when I leave the archery shop every evening, so I had to go. Cool. He he was there but I don't know if I'm going to be able to get in there and get him because this guy don't give nobody permission to get in there. So I'm going to have to sweet talk this guy, take him some smoked deer legs or something over. Maybe that'll get me in. Never know. (laughs) So after you figure this, all this stuff out, then you plan your hunt to go in there Mm -hmm. and 
you you get in there and you're all set up and this buck doesn't do what you thought he was going to do. Will you go back in again the following evening or morning and try to usually get back not. on him? Usually for me, it's a one, one and done. Okay. Um, I feel like when you get your scent in there, number number one, if the buck didn't come out, he's probably not betting there. Number number two, if you get your scent in there and that buck comes around, he's going to smell it. They're really critical of human scent in a staging area around your bedding. You know, and those bigger bucks get a little shy. Okay. I kind of feel like um, I'm actually stacking them in a way because I'll, I'll look at a property and I'll say, okay, I think there's 15 spots that buck could be betting. Well, after about 13 hunts, I'm feeling pretty good because I'm thinking he's going to be in the next two for me. Yep. Um, I can say that, um, you, you know, all of us uh, have, you know, hunted the same trees over and over again or time and time again. If I see a buck or I hear a buck or I think one's in there, I'll hunt it again the next day. Um, I've got spots where I've killed big bucks and I'll go back in, in following years and hunt them. And I used to hunt spots like, you know, four or five times a year try to do it as minimal as possible, you know, and try to do three times a year. So it wouldn't be too close to each other. Um, and what I learned over the years is even though when you added it up, the majority of your hunts were, remember I'm a statistical guy. The majority of your hunts were, um, places you've already hunted, you know, one time or another, okay. I started looking at my box and the majority of my bucks came from spots where I've hunted before. But when you take the top 10 or the top 15 that are all, you know, four years older or older, uh, I think it's something like 70% of them were shot in the very first time I ever set a spot. And the other 30% um, was a spot that I set the first time that year. I think there's only one that I set a spot twice ever for mature, for absolute mature bucks. I mean, some people will call a three-year-old mature. I, I really don't think so. But when you look at my mature bucks, it's a whole different animal. Mm-hmm. Yep. And, uh, you, you know, is. they don't get that old by not figuring you out. So uh, I think your first time sits are, uh, are, are really your best time to kill those giants. And But like I said, when you look at the majority of my deer, like, I've got a lot of three-year-olds, a lot of really good two-year-olds. And when you look at those, I mean, the average bucks that guys shoot these rut bucks that they get cruising and stuff, I've gotten those cruising. I've gotten them from, you know, uh, a tried-and-true stand where you always got good bucks coming by. But the true monarchs are always some little tight spot where nobody goes. It's always your first time in there. And as soon as you start hunting it, they disappear if you don't kill them. You know, so... Um, to me, it's, it's generally the, the first time sits that are, are, are pretty proven, but you know, you gotta look at it like this too. I got spots out here, you, you know, on, on the properties I know I could go there and I could shoot a deer I'd be happy with. And I don't go there because it puts me out of the game for those giants. So it might sound weird, but I'd shoot that deer if it walked past me while I'm hunting, but I'm not going to go after them because it's going to put me out of the game for the big ones. And for me, I want every hunt to be in that game. It doesn't mean I won't settle for something that I'm real happy with, 
but I'm never going to put a, a wall full of monarchs or get that dream buck on my wall if I settle for and, and start shooting or hunting for little bucks because it's a whole different animal. Right. Yeah. I know when I killed my my first biggest buck, um, which ended up being 163, um, it was it it was kind of odd to say, but it was almost life changing in a sense that like you want more of that, you know, right. and, and, you know, so to, to hunt a, a typical, you know, two year old or even three year old, that's maybe, you know, here in PA, we're lucky if we see a good buck. I mean, it's getting better, but, but it was hard to hunt a deer that was only 110 inches mm-hmm. when, when you got a taste of, you know, this other style of hunting with these bigger mature deer and, you just yeah. you just want to go more after that, so I can see exactly what you're saying. Where you would just lay off of some yeah, areas. You, you, you know, look at these hunters that become good. A, a lot. This happens to a lot of guys. They they grow as a hunter, and they get to a level where they start killing good bucks, and they start killing them on a regular basis. They've learned how to hunt rut funnels. They've learned how to hunt leeward ridges and tight spots. They've learned how to do this and that, and they're like, "Oh, this works." You know, I'm killing them. Well, they get stuck in a routine. And they will sit there, and, and we all know guys like this, and they'll get that, you know, 100-inch to 130-inch buck every year. And they, they, you know, maybe once in 10 years, they get, a, they get a good one. You know, where I'm getting opportunities at good ones, you know, every other year, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe every year, but I don't capitalize every year, you know. Um, but I, I shouldn't say that. I'm getting good bucks every year. I think there's only two years I didn't shoot bucks, but I mean, actually, actually giants, you know what I'm saying? Right. But, uh, these guys are just putting themselves out of the game for the giants because they grew to a level of killing good bucks. And it's really, you got to change the whole way you hunt because like I said, they're like a different animal. It's like you're, it's like you were hunting squirrels. Now you're going to hunt rabbits, the yeah. whole different freaking animal. They you definitely don't think, they don't think like a, two or three year old buck. There's no way. Right. So you got to change up your hunting in order to kill the big ones. And the thing is, you'll still be able to kill the, 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 the decent bucks you've been killing. And it's not like you can put yourself out of the game and have to go years and years without a buck or something. It's just that now you're, you're in the game for the giants. Yeah. I I don't like where this podcast is going because I can see Rob's mind over there. Stirring and, and Dan, you're going to cause me to move a lot of tree stands now. No. <laughs> well, speaking no. of those, I so you know Matt mentioned tree stands here for me. You know, and I once I started getting into hunting the the bigger deer, and um, I thought that by having the hang on stands, which Rob's going to make you move, I think that it made me a lazy hunter having preset stand locations. So mm-hmm. I had went and did some research this year and ended up with uh, a B stand and, you know, some mini sticks. Nice. And um, my intention is to to do a lot more mobile hunting. I felt like I just was kind of getting complacent and, you know, and hunting those same spots um, and just leaving too much scent. And it was just kind of like it was easy to do it. So I was just like, oh, I'll just yeah. keep doing this. but. I'm forcing myself to not do that. You know, I'm, I'm taking, I'm taking the lock on and the sticks and I'm going. So that's what you're going to find is if you start hopping around and, and hunting spots, just you, you, 
you know, that you think are the better spots, you're going to start seeing a lot more bigger bucks. You're going to be surprised by your, by your results. If you give it a, a half-assed chance. Right. I mean, uh, you, you can, you can also have some pretty struggling hunts. Um, you can get onto some stuff and go, what the hell am I doing out here? And be half-assed lost getting home and all that kind of stuff too. Yeah. But, um, I don't know. Um, for the guys that get it, I think it, it becomes like a badge of honor where you kind of enjoy those hunts. I mean, Absolutely. I, I, I get lost in a, in a swamp and it takes me three hours to get out of the swamp. And even though it half kills me, I got a little smirk on my face. Like I, like <laughs> there's something in me that enjoys the pain. I, 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 I got to say that your one episode when you lost your phone in the middle of the swamp, you're a better <laughs> man than me. Cause I think I'd have went and got a new phone. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that that was something. <laughs> yeah, and I watched the one last night when you were going in to that spot, and it was raining. By the time you got in there, you were covered with snow. <laughs> and you come yeah. back out, and you were talking about, you know, it's us old guys. We hurt and everything else doing that stuff, but we still do it because we enjoy it. Right. And I've noticed something. I'm going to go from whitetails to another critter that I didn't really think that you hunted, but I saw some bear footage on there. And I'm talking oh, yeah, some bear monster bears. I mean, these bears are huge that I was seeing you on. Yeah, I, I do do-it-yourself bear hunting, and I love it. There's nothing I like better. It probably even rivals deer hunting. It's just that I don't do it as much as deer hunting because I don't live in bear territory. I got to travel to it. Yeah, that's what you were saying, what, two to three hours from where you're at? Yeah, the um, the spots where I've been doing really well is actually uh, northern Minnesota on the Canadian border. And uh, that's an eight-and-a-half-hour drive one way from my house. Wow. That's a hike. Yeah. And I'd go up there uh, on weekends, and every weekend, drive up there and run baits. Now, are you hunting bears in Wisconsin, too? Yes. Okay, so they Wisconsin's would be... harder for me to do though because they, they have restrictions on the um, baiting that make it a little more difficult. Okay, Minnesota, I don't have an amount restriction, so I can put enough that it lasts me a week. Okay, um, in, in Wisconsin, I, I have a ten gallon limit, and if I bait once a week, those bears will eat my bait in one night and move on to some outfitter that baits daily. Did you did you ever kill that buck that was coming in? The bear bait buck? Yeah. No, I, I didn't kill him. No? You'd have, you'd have heard about that. <laughs> I'll tell you what, when I seen the pictures of that thing, I was like, man, I can't wait to see if he does it. I figured you were still after him. Uh, he disappeared. I, I think somebody winged him or something. Nobody got him. Um, there was a 200-inch shot over in that same area, um, and I tracked it down. It wasn't that buck. I saw the rack. I knew right away. But uh, I almost killed that buck on uh, – opening day of the year that uh, that he's coming into the bait real heavy. And uh, I had him come in one time the next year. Um, but uh, I should have killed him. But it just changed up how I hunted. I think I would have gotten him. Yeah, that, that I'll tell you what, that buck was really impressive. Real impressive. That's yeah, a nice one. You know? <laughs> we, we've got some pretty big bucks in Wisconsin. And it's, you know, you get them here and there, but they're, they're hard to kill. And how hard is it to get a license in Wisconsin for an out-of-stater? You just come buy one. So, matter, matter of fact, um, they'll give you um, 
first time hunters, I think is 85 bucks. Wow. What? Damn it. We're going to Wisconsin. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think it jumps up to like 180 the second time you come, you know, and then, then it stays at that weight. But they, to try and get new hunters, they, they put the rate at like 85 bucks for your first time hunting here as a non-resident. I, I'm done. I, I don't know of any other states that do that. No. No, I'm done doing podcast after this one. This is starting to cost way too much money. <laughs> this was supposed to be fun and learning about it. And all this does is cost money because we're, we're going to Wisconsin. Look at it this way. It's research. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think, I think Wisconsin is way underrated. Um, we don't get a lot of uh, non-resident hunters in uh, the um, southwestern corner of the state. Um, really has some incredible hunting. I mean, um, at least comparable to, you know, Ohio or, you know, portions of uh, even Iowa. You know, that, that area over there could be incredible on the public land. Now, where did the idea um, or how did you get started sharing all this knowledge with, with books and, and shows and stuff like that? How did that all come about? I don't know. I always liked talking deer hunting and I started making, uh, there was a big DVD thing. Everybody was making DVDs back in the day. And, uh, um, I was filming hunts for uh, a show, a TV show. And I just thought, man, it'd be great to have something that's not, you know, I hated the shows because they'd make you, um, you know, push sponsors and stuff. And it was really more of an infomercial than hunting. And I hated that the DVDs were kind of like that too. And I just thought, well, rather than just have a, a kill videos or just showed kill after kill after kill, why not, you know, show the path? And I always thought that it'd be better to like, um, I always kind of like wanted to um, see hunters, see the light, you know, for them to be better people. You know, um, like our, our mission is, you know, to make, um, people better hunters and hunters better people mm-hmm. that's been our mission you know so it's it's really about uh, if you if you give them you know take a step back here take a look at like me you know as a young kid growing up in the 80s everybody around me was doing drugs and drunk all the time and you know and uh, womenizing hanging in bars and stuff and that's what there was to do or you go hunting and I would say that hunting saved me from that. Because all my friends, I mean, half of them are dead now. You know, I've got friends that, uh, you know, you look them up, they died of drug abuse, you know, overdose. You got friends that died of alcoholism. You got people that when you look them up, you, you like, don't like those people no more. <laughs> you know? Yeah. yeah. Um, where I think hunting really saved me. And I think, you know, when you look at the way society's going and stuff, the way kids are going and stuff, I think hunting is what we're supposed to be doing. It's the natural thing that humans are supposed to do. You're supposed to live off the land, not off a grocery store. Mm-hmm. You're supposed to grow crops, not buy them. You're supposed to, you know, kill your food and eat it, you know, not get disconnected from that. Yep. I think, you know, when you see life and death in the woods, you, um, you, you understand life and death a hell of a lot better. You start appreciating life. Um, and I, I kind of would like to see more people hunt and stuff. And I think if kids and uh, young people, new hunters, I think if they're more successful right off the bat, that um, it will make the whole sport better. You know, it'll keep them involved in hunting. It'll have them get their kids involved. 
that kind of thing. So I always just wanted to make hunting more welcoming. I never liked the old, uh, I mean, it's changed nowadays, but I grew up in a time frame when you did not tell anybody your secrets. And when I first started putting DVDs out, I really got attacked for that. People were like, you don't tell people this stuff. These are my secrets for years, you know. <laughs> I, I'd get that kind of stuff. And it's like, you can't let that stuff out. I'd really get, people would get pissed. They'd threaten me and everything else. But now you see everybody's kind of sharing stuff. I mean, the whole society's getting better, you know, in some warped way. I'd like to take a little credit for that. Maybe, maybe there is none to give. But that's my goal. And that's what I'm trying to do is to, you know, um, just help bring more people into the sport and make them successful so they stay. And uh, hopefully they see the light and they become better people, better hunters. And I, I just think it's a great life. It's a great escape. It's, it gets you closer to God. Yeah, yeah. I, I get that here because I trap a lot. And the old time trappers, you know, when I was younger, you ask one to take you out and it was like, you know, trying to pull teeth out of a horse. Nobody would mm-hmm. take you out to, to trap. So I had to learn how to do it all on my own. And now down at the sportsman's club that I belong to for the last five years, whenever trapping season starts in October, I always take a bunch of kids. I take a bunch of Duke traps down there and take them out and let them set them wherever they want. And then I take them back every day to check them. You know, and nice. it would not, you wouldn't believe the smiles on those kids' face when they catch their first raccoon, you know. Mm-hmm. And a lot of them are like, oh, no, all we got to do is turn them loose. I'm like, no, that's not, this is where the fun part starts. <laughs> you know, this is when the fun starts. You get to dispatch them, take them home, hang them in your shed, skin them, make something out of that fur, you know. Yeah. So I, I feel the same way you do. It's like, you know, show people what to do, take them out you know, not hold their hand, but, you know, try to get them turned on to it so that we have this because there's, there's not a whole lot of young kids hunting here in PA anymore. Right. You, you know, it's the whole, um, um, people over time have, have turned it into com- competition, whether it's your trapping or it's your hunting, they want to be the better person. So they don't want to give their secrets away because somebody will be as good as them. Mm-hmm. So they want to be the best or whatever. Mm-hmm. And really there, it's not a hunting in a competition. Nope. It never should be. It it uh, it should be you just out having fun, you know, and just, and just sharing the outdoors because you'll never compete with somebody that you know outspends you. Um, somebody that doesn't have a job or somebody that'll cheat. Right. Somebody that'll break some rules or somebody that'll break every rule, or somebody that'll uh, you, you know just has so much money they can buy or lease everything up, or you know even on public land. If a guy is independently wealthy and he doesn't have a job or he works, you know, very little, you know, and he has all the money he wants for all the toys he wants and he can afford his stuff and you got to go out there with your stick pole because that's all you can afford. And, you know, if you're some kid riding your bike, how do you compete? So it's not a competition. It it shouldn't be. It never should have been. Everybody should be happy for what everybody else does and helping other people be successful is a good thing. You know, you just look at, look at me. Um, I've said this before, but a lot of my success came on the backs of my wife and my kids because I was so obsessed when I was younger. You know, I was ignoring birthdays and holidays and everything else because I was so obsessed with killing deer. You know, where I look back and, you know, maybe I would have been better off with a few less deer on my wall and a little better family life. You know, and I can't go back and change those things now. 
right. know, so some guy might be considered a great hunter, but he's really an asshole, <laughs> you know, <laughs> because, because of how he treats his family and stuff because of it, you know? So it's, it's not a competition, uh, you know, and I want people to see that light and learn from my, my examples. I mean, most people wouldn't tell you that story because they'd be afraid that they'd look bad. I would rather somebody see that and hear that and in the back of their mind, somebody listening to this is saying, oh, you know what? I'm kind of getting there. Mm-hmm. Maybe I need to take a step back. Maybe, maybe that deer isn't that important, you know, that I'm going to lose my wife over it, my, my marriage, my, you know, my house and everything else, you know? Right. I know a guy that's been divorced four times because all he does is hunt. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, I know quite a few guys that have done that. and Now they don't hunt no more and they don't have nothing, you know. But, oh, let's see. What else we got to ask him? There's so much I want to ask him and I don't want to. Well, one of the things I wanted to ask back, you know, when he was talking about hunting one spot, you know, Dan, you said that, you know, you hunt a stand, you don't go back. If you know you've got a good mature buck in the area, what mm-hmm. is too close to be a second attempt? So if you hunt a stand, but you know he's in that area and you feel like he didn't, you know, he didn't catch your wind there, maybe he will in that staging area that night. Would you go back? Would you wait a week or so and go back and maybe hunt 20 yards from there or 60 or 100? Or I think a week would be a mistake. I think the best thing, if you're, if you're going to go back, would be the next day um, before that deer smells you. I think your scent stays in there for 15 or more days. You know, once they get that wind, they're going to, they're going to be buggy. Now take that with a grain of salt. Mm-hmm. I do a lot of camp, trail camera studies and stuff. And you will see some deer will just disappear when, when you introduce human scent. They're, they're just gone. The next day they're gone. And you'll see some deer that they won't even care. They just walk right through it. You know, so every deer is different, but I kind of treat them all the same. You know, um, I, I would say that when you get close to that bedding area, there's a, there's a pretty big impact on it. Now, I have hunted one side, not seen nothing. And a week later, when the wind's right, I hunt the other side where there's an exit on the other side and, and kill a good buck coming out of the same bedding area. And I was only 75 or 80 yards from it on the other side. But that buck didn't come out that way. He probably wasn't coming out that way. He probably never came over there and smelled my scent. Right. Makes sense. I think if he walks through that stage and he smells you're there. There's also, uh, you know, variations of it too. I mean, I've got spots that are bulletproof where you can come up a creek, come up a hillside, come up a tree that's got this huge deadfall in in front of it and shoot over the top of the deadfall 20 yards to where the deer stage and there's no way that deer will ever get down on the other side of that deadfall smell that you're there. You know, well, I shouldn't say never because I've seen some crazy stuff in the snow with tracks, but, but they, they, you know, there are scenarios where you can, you can hunt a spot more than once. I just don't like to, I think the deer wasn't there. He wasn't there. You know, um, however, they do hop around and he might be in a different veterinary one day and then he's back the next. I mean, that's possible. So um, I know people who have had success that way. I've just looked at my odds, and my odds have been way better not hunting those spots over. Now, if I go through, if, if, if there's a buck in a certain woodlot, and there's really only like 10, 
good buck bedding areas, and he's really, I don't know where else he could be, but he's there all the time. I might think I missed him in a spot and try it again. But generally, uh, when I do get the action or I kill those deer, it's that first time set. You did get the hunt here in PA. Mm-hmm. You did get on a, a decent buck. Yeah. Or do you have plans of coming back? I would like to. I don't know when I'm going, but I would like to. I really fell in love with those mountains, and it's a pretty cool area. Because we got some swamp land around here that's game land. You yeah, know, anytime you want to come figure my property out, come on. <laughs> <laughs> but we do have public land here that I've been hunting since I was 12 years old. Got the oxbows and the creek that runs through it, the whole nine yards. Yeah. And we've killed some pretty nice bucks out of there. And I know that uh, um, the one thing that was a deterrent was uh, the DNR out there uh, charged us quite a bit of money to film, and film hunts out there. What? There was, wow. uh, we couldn't hunt on uh, public land and film um, without paying some huge fee. Now the hunting public paid that fee, but it was it was a high number. I have never heard I've that never before heard that. in my life. Yeah, I'm gonna yeah. have to talk to our, our game warden. Maybe it, buddies. maybe it's just on the federal lands or whatever. But they had to pay like per person. Oh, that might be. You guys were that was hunting. hunting. Yeah, you guys were hunting federal land. I'm going to have to talk to our Yeah, I, I'm pretty sure that I can hunt anywhere on private land and not have to have any license. But, like, that's why I don't go down to Missouri. People are always like, why don't you hunt Missouri? Well, in Missouri, you you have to have a license to hunt on, to film on public land. Yeah, I'm going to have to, I'm gonna have have to, to talk to them and find out about it, that. It's I, really easy when you're doing what I do to break the law. I mean, they got crazy laws out there that you wouldn't even expect. Yeah. It's, uh, yeah, I mean, it. It's tough because being in the that public spotlight, somebody's always looking to say, "Oh, he was doing wrong," instead of promoting mm-hmm. positively. Yeah, yeah, it might not Absolutely. be. It might not be um, um, actually videotaping that's illegal. I think it's uh, it's making money off the tapes because, like, when we monetize the YouTube videos. Hmm. Okay. Yeah, it's interesting. I have to I have to look into that. Speaking of, you know, about. You know, you asking them about coming to PA. Um, I know you do the uh, workshops mm-hmm. every year. Is that, you know, it's, I guess it's a two-part question, but are you going to continue to do those workshops? And the second part of that would be, would you ever consider doing them in other states? Yeah, I am going to continue to do them. I love doing them. Because I, I want to attend. I, do, I definitely plan I, on The one in. I do by my house is probably the best one I do because I take you right out to spots where I've killed giant bucks on public land. And I show you the setups. I show you where they're bedded, how they come out, you know, why I was going in there. So it's a lot better than when I go to a, a new spot. But everybody does always want me to travel to new spots. And I do sometimes. I mean, last year I went to Hill Country in western Wisconsin. Um, a few years back I went to Minnesota. Uh, a year before that I went to um, – Tennessee land between lakes and did one. I've done Michigan. Um, that's another thing where um, I was going to go down and do one in Missouri. And uh, I called the DNR down there and they told me that if I did it, they would arrest me. So, wow. so uh, when I go out of state, I think sometimes it's better to do it on a piece of private property because uh, they can consider it guiding or they can consider it something else. If I do do it on public, 
I have to, you know, call the DNR and, and uh, make sure I have permission from whoever the warden for that area is. Hmm. Definitely learning something new. Yeah. I didn't realize that. Yeah. yeah it's learning. not just, it's not just free to go do stuff like that, I guess, you know, they get, <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. You would think public land. I mean, as long as you're not damaging you, you, you it in any it, way. It's funny because, you know, like, uh, here in Wisconsin, um, every warden I've talked to has always been like, this is great. You're doing that. I, we really appreciate you bringing people into hunting and bringing people into the area. You know, all the, all the uh, businesses around here like it. They're always like, everybody stop here for coffee and donuts, you know, and <laughs> stuff like that, you know. And, um, but you got other places like, you keep that out of our state, you know, it's okay. Wow. Wow. <laughs> you know, whatever. <laughs> yeah, that's crazy. Well, I'll definitely be looking out for when you do uh, have another, another one of those workshops because it's something I'd like to attend. Yeah, that would be interesting. We're we'll out to keep an eye out. Yeah, they're they're fun. Um, they're a lot better than what you'd think. I mean, it ain't just you know like um, guy talk or whatever. We really go into some you know details about about how the deer where they're bedded, how they're coming out and stuff. The thing is too. I mean, uh, if I go to some place and do one. If I don't pre-walk it, you're just following me around the woods while I scout and I'm looking for beds <laughs> and stuff. And I might find two or three really good spots or, you know, I might find 20, you know. Right. Um, and then I'm going to tell you where I would set up, but I'm not going to show you where I actually killed one. So right. when, when you, you know, when you come here, I'm actually, you know, taking you and showing you how I break down a whole piece of property that I've hunted over the years and how I rapidly scout it. Um how you can, how you can look at a giant block of timber and really, you know, walk it in an hour and know, know in the quality of the property and uh, what bucks are bedded where and really fast, you know, just by, by walking the, that transition um, where they bed and checking out the beds one in a row instead of wandering around the woods aimlessly. You know, um, most guys uh, go to a place to scout, they scout every inch and they got every rub marked under phone and every and it gets just confusing where I could care less if there's a giant rub in the middle of the forest. I want to know what's going on where I can hunt them in daylight, you know? Right. Now do you like taking advantage of like the apps now that you can mark this or you kind of stuck where you learned it? Yeah, I, I use it but uh you know I'm an I'm an old old school guy so I'm kinda of clunky on it. But uh I, I do use Onyx. Um uh there's some other apps that I like more. There's uh, I might I might switch. I'm just trying to figure out if I can save my uh, my points. I'd have to lo- I would hate to lose all my uh, points. Um, you, you know your my marks. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, I used Onyx last year and I switched back to HuntStand because HuntStand just seems so much. Yeah, easier. that's the one I like is the HuntStand one. So much um, easier to well, use. Yeah, I was looking at it too, and I think that's a way better one. You know and you know, uh, yeah, I, I just think you're, it's a better, better app. Yeah. They I've, also got, they got something in hunt. Um, gotta keep, what was the name of it? Hunt stand. Yeah. They got something in hunt stand too, that I really like that, that Onyx doesn't have. They have a thing where you can, uh, you can see where your partners are. Yeah. You can put your partners in there. Yep. And we do a lot of like, uh, drives and stuff in those nasty cattails. And we all get out of sync. You know, you can't even see each other. You can't see two feet, you know? Right. But you, if you go in a row and you go right, when you get to the opening, the, the buck's got nowhere to go. Mm-hmm. 
but we just you never get it done right because nobody's in a line. <laughs> <laughs> well, we have we have those problems here too when we put drives on during muzzleloader season. Yeah, so so I think that that uh, that app would be better for us, you know. And I just got to talk to my friends and to get into if you know. But I might switch. I'm gonna see if I can uh, I can pull my uh, spots off of Onyx and. Yeah, I used like I said, I used Onyx last year, but it, I don't know. It just seemed harder to maneuver. You know what I mean? To maneuver through and put my spots in, and just a lot more expensive too. Yeah, yeah, way more expensive. Yeah, yeah, it's kind of funny because uh, they must sponsor just about everybody. They sponsor people that are, <laughs> you know, working for me under me, and they never offered me anything. <laughs> but. <laughs> <laughs> but uh yeah they're they're kind of high priced so because i you know obviously i'm traveling so i got to do the the whole countrywide you know right uh as far as the equipment what is your what is your setup with your bow like your arrows and your broadheads and um i'm using those uh exodus arrows um geez i don't i think they they're, just come out with them didn't they yeah i don't i don't know what grain they are they're like medium heavy mm-hmm um, they set me up with, you know, uh, I'm using a prime bowl, uh, G5 arrows or broadheads and, uh, you know, I'm shooting darts. That's all I care about. Yeah. I really don't care about that real heavy stuff. I want to be able to shoot distance and stuff without a lot of drop and stuff. And I've never had problems with, you know, me arrows zip right through deer. See, yeah. that, that's one, one of our big things down the archery shop. We get guys that come in and they want that front of center, you know, they want a 700 grain arrow and it's like, man, you're killing whitetails. Right. I mean, I, I got the guys telling me, telling me they're um, blowing through shoulder blades and stuff. And I, I doubt that. I mean, you're not shooting a 200 pound animal in the shoulder with a heavy arrow and blowing right through the shoulder blade. No, I, mean, I, I, I don't think so. Just a sharp broadhead and a fast arrow. I mean, I don't think you want a feather weight arrow, but you, you don't you, you don't need something to be a Lincoln log. You know, <laughs> back in the days, we had to shoot Lincoln logs under aluminum because you had to have an arrow stiff enough to to yeah. shoot out of a heavy bow. And I had a really long draw, so my my draw has always been very long because my arrows they they trim like an eighth of an inch off the end of them. <laughs> and so when I used aluminum, I had these arrows that were I, I mean I forget what they were, but they were they were very heavy. When you hit deer, it'd be like you're hitting them with a, in a side of a two by four full swing. You'd hear this whap, and they'd stumble and they'd run like rockets. And then uh, I'll never forget when the first carbon arrows came out, and uh, um, some pro sent me a half dozen of them to try. And I got these little demon arrows that were like the size of a pencil. I'm like, what the hell, you know? Yep. And I got the bow set up for them things. And the first deer I shot, I shot it right through the chest, you know, a little into the shoulder. And I didn't hit the shoulder blade. And then right through the chest, right through the vitals, into the ground behind it. And the deer just moved a couple steps, took a couple bites out of the grass, and then fell over dead. I was like, what the heck? <laughs> didn't even know it was shot. You know, well, they sure knew it when I hit it with a giant heavy arrow. I'll tell you that. <laughs> that's, that's one of the things, you know, we're all about the same age here. And when we were your bows weren't going over 200 feet per second back in, you know? Right. Yeah. 
if you did get one that was going over 200 feet per second, you were just about dry firing it. I wish I had my first bow. <laughs> my mom used to get stuff from Finger Hut, if you remember that. Yep. And I bought it with the money I got from my paper route. <laughs> my my first um, compound bow, my, um, my brother bought me, it was a piece of junk. It was like a, a Kmart bow. Um, and I killed some deer with it. But then uh, I ended up uh, buying a bow. I think it was five bucks, a compound bowl at a rummage sale. It didn't have a rest on it. Um, I mean, remember I was a kid. Yeah. I, they had, remember they had wooden risers back in those yep, days. Yep. Yep. I pounded a nail into it with a, uh, with a hammer for a rest. <laughs> we should Finish try it to somebody's new Matthews next week. And, uh, <laughs> I killed deer with it. <laughs> That's my had, uh, I'll never forget, uh, you know, I was, I don't know how old I was, like 12 or something. I had this big doe walk underneath me, and I pulled that boat a full draw, and I was just hanging up on a limb. I didn't have a stand or anything. I'm just standing on this limb of this tree, and this, this doe is like six yards away, can't miss. And I'm only, you know, eight feet up, so, I mean, it's like a four-yard shot. And I come to full draw, and that thing just gives me this look with those giant eyes like, uh-oh. <laughs> and I'm on it, and just before I'm going to release, the whole bow just blew up into pieces. <laughs> and I'm just standing there, and it's boom! And the doe just stood there, just kept looking at me. <laughs> like, what is going on? <laughs> that was the end of the bow with the nail in it. <laughs> I don't know. I think you should try to market that, Dan. New rest. <laughs> the infault rest. A 16 penny now. <laughs> yeah, you, you, know, you know, um, like I'm guilty too of making like high tech products, but you look at it and these young guys that are so intimidated by, all you know, you got to have this and you got to have that. Hell, we just killed them with with a stick and string back in the day. We didn't even have camouflage, yep. you know. Yep. And we got it done. Yep. You know. Yep. Well, Dan, you want to uh, tell everybody where they can find out more about you on your social media? Sure. Um, if they're interested in uh, seeing what I got for uh, mobile tree stands and sticks, they would go to huntingbeastgear.com. Which I highly recommend. Um, thank you. Um, YouTube is probably the place everybody wants to go. I've got some really good videos in there. Um, some great hunts in there. Um, I also film all my scouting and show you how I decipher bedding areas, decipher, you know, um, staging areas, um, I got uh, good good videos about uh, tactics and topics, and I film all my hunts, you know, successful or not, and show why I'm picking the spots I pick and those kinds of things. And uh, there are some really good hunts on there too. Yes, there uh -huh. is. Hopefully, we get to see a couple bears this year. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that. That's coming up pretty quick. We've got some big bears coming in. Yeah, when's got, your bear uh, season start? A couple there? of them over 500 pounds. Um, it starts September 6th, I think. So do you so have that, like two or three weeks? Do you have like a broke up season, like an archery season, a gun season, like we do here in PA? No, uh, it's just uh bear season. Like we got, I don't know. Our bear season went you, from used to be a three day rifle season to now we got 15 different seasons for it. And mm, just a yeah, pain we, in the we, butt we, to keep up with. Yeah. We've got, um, uh, um, once it opens till it closes, you can use, uh, you know, um, bows, guns, um, 
muzzle loaders, hand grenades, whatever you want. <laughs> and uh, the only thing they differ with is uh, hound hunting versus bait hunting. They they, they flip flop that stuff. I'm in an area that doesn't allow hounds. However, um, they can run them for practice before season. And that's kind of annoying because the guys up north don't want to chase their bears up there and wreck their hunting. So they come down and chase them down here. <laughs> yeah. Wreck yours. Yeah. Well, buddy, we appreciate you taking the time out to hang out with us and talk and share some of your information with us. And, uh, yeah, it's a good conversation. You know, it's, it's always good to learn new things and I'm definitely going to have Matt out there helping me move tree stands next weekend. <laughs> I, I already knew that was coming. Be moving them weekly. I have to take a day off work each week to go move stands. Well, you know, you're self employed, so that ain't going to hurt you. <laughs> All right, Dan, we're going to let you go. And we All appreciate right. it. And we'll keep in touch and see how things work out for you this year. Okay. Good luck, go, buddy. Dan. Thank Good you again. You, Dan. All right. Bye. Well, buddy, it's time to pay some bills. Time to pay, and, and we get to pick on him because he's sitting right here with us tonight. Oh, no. <laughs> Crick Archery, find your passion and hunt it down. When Mr. Chris DePerna is not out playing 18 holes of golf, he does run an archery shop. <laughs> and if you look on social media, you will see some of the funkiest clothes I have ever seen in my life that a human being wears. Next, he's going to have him English knickers on like they wear over in England when they play golf but anyhow I gotta see if Sitka makes this <laughs> Crick Archery if we don't have it down there Chris will hunt it down for you get down there now we only got a couple more weeks till the season starts so you need your stuff done get down there quick we're, we're getting busy we got Hillview Motors, Chrysler, Dodge, Jeep, and Ram. Three weeks in a row now he said that and hasn't screwed it up. No, it's like all season. <laughs> it's, it's ingrained there. <laughs> if you're looking for a new used vehicle, stop out and see our good buddy Steve Huba in the sales department and the rest of the great folks out there. Huba Steve. If your car has been in an unfortunate accident and hit one of our local critters here, go see Butch back in the collision center, certified to work on all makes and models. Or if you just want to get that truck cleaned up for hunting season so it's not as destroyed at the end of it, go back and see Joe in the detail shop. It's your one-stop place. Hillview has it. We got Duke traps. Give Bill and them guys a hauler down there in Mississippi. They'll send you up some of the best trapping equipment you can have. Everything you need, give Bill a hauler down there at www.duketraps.com. We got our good friends, Fetsco Heating and Cooling. Family owned, operated for 20 plus years now. They have the skills and the knowledge to keep your furnace and air conditioner running, or as an authorized Armstrong dealer, they can replace it new for you. Check them out on Facebook. Give them a call. It's getting that time of year to get your furnaces tuned up and ready for winter. Fetsco Heating and Cooling. Dear Pete Dave, apparitionscent.com. It's that time of year to get that Undertaker and that Nightmare out. Stop down there. You know, at Crick Archery, we got a whole bunch of that stuff down there. You better get there. We're selling a lot. We yes, need more. Yes, we are. Dave, you better get up here quick. But you should be taking inventory, and you're going to need some good equipment to take inventory with. You are. You got to have a trail camera over your mock scrapes. Mm-hmm. 
want to use Dave's Phantom Hunter to go in there, set your mock scrapes. Got to have a camera to see what you got. Got to get one from Boat Creek Outdoors. Mm-hmm. Several different types of cameras, traditional cameras that take phenomenal pictures. Check them out on video with sound too. Yep, video with sound. You want to check them out on Facebook at Bow Creek Outdoors. You can zoom in on these pictures and see all the details. They also came out with a cell camera, and this cell camera to me is going to be a game changer because it has the capability to choose the best reception in your area through Verizon, T-Mobile, and AT&T. So whatever works the best in that area, it will automatically choose that so that you continue to get those pictures. Check them out, bowcreekoutdoors.com. We got Dominic's Butchery. It's getting that time of year, September. We'll start opening up here to start butchering up your harvest. So we make anything you want out of your deer. So stop out there and see us at Dominic's Butchery. And I'll even sign your antlers for you. And the last sponsor for this episode is Chico Outdoors. Find them on Facebook and Instagram at Chico Outdoors. They host the annual Outdoor Expo at the Westmoreland Fairgrounds, and that is in honor of Andrew Chico Christ. His brother Matt and the great group of people put this on in his honor. They're a nonprofit organization that promotes activities outdoors, hunting, fishing for youth and veterans. Uh, it's a great program. All the money that they make goes back into the local communities and tries to get more people involved in the outdoors. So check them out on Facebook and Instagram. That was another episode, buddy. Yes, it was. So make sure you follow along with us on the Keystone Experience, Facebook, Instagram. Rob still got the TikTok rolling. Head over to the YouTube page. We'll have some hunts coming on there. Uh, episodes for the podcast that were videoed are on there. And uh, hopefully get some more content put out there. Like, subscribe, and comment on them videos on YouTube to help get us out there. All right, we'll catch you on the next one.